Hello, you're welcome to If I Were the Minister for Education from OnShop.net. Episode 55, Set a Contract of Hours for Teachers. One of my fantasies is to be asked to go onto a national radio station to talk about something to do with primary education. It doesn't really matter what the subject would be about in particular because inevitably, no matter what the subject was about, at some point in the interview, the presenter would turn uh, to me and say he was going to read a text message out from a listener um, to basically to tell me to stop whinging as I only work half days and have amazing holidays. Now, my fantasy continues with me looking at the radio presenter. I, I think I'd probably do some sort of, um, I don't know, a dramatic pause just just for effect and say, yes, Kira, we'll just call the presenter that name as a pure coincidence, by the way, just a pure coincidence. Um, you, you know, you probably would understand that kind of text because I'm sure people are always going on about you only working two hours a day on your morning show and they don't see all the research and background work you do. Um, no. Ha. Well, I, I, actually, come to think of it, this, this fantasy of mine, now that I put it into words, doesn't really sound as good as I had imagined it would be. Um, bah. Anyway, the, the point anyway, is that while we all know that teachers work well beyond the 25 hours of contact time that they're paid for, there's actually no maximum number of hours per week that teachers work before they might be compensated. So, if I were the Minister for Education, I would set a maximum contract hours for teachers. Hello, hello, you're very welcome to If I Were the Minister for Education from Unshaw.net. This is Simon Lewis. Um, for those of you who are listening to this episode in the distant future, I'm recording this episode in mid-2021, around April, about a year after the COVID-19 pandemic hit the world and all of our lives changed completely. For example, we couldn't leave our houses, so people discovered new hobbies uh, such as baking banana bread, perfecting sourdough loaves and everybody's favourite new hobby, bashing teachers. Oh, the fun we were having. We were telling teachers to go on the pup. We were uh, blaming teachers because kids with additional needs weren't getting any therapies, despite the fact that it isn't a teacher's job to do any of that. Uh, we'd uh, throw the teachers into a room full of people with only a window for protection, and we might only crack it open a little bit and then complain about the cold. Ah, oh, they were great times. If you, uh, I mean, you're, if you're listening to it now, you're, you, you'll, you'll know, uh, uh, you'll know what it's like now. But maybe in the future, you might have forgotten these great times we had, given out about the teachers. So when the government realised their vaccination schedule was wildly being abused uh, just recently, uh, again there was a, a scheme just for those of you who are listening to this in the future, where teachers, guardi, uh, vulnerable people, uh, frontline workers, key workers were all going to be prioritised for the vaccine over people who were kind of at home, uh, maybe working. Uh, after a while, um, they realised that there were people completely abusing the systems. You had, um, you know, uh, office workers uh, getting vaccinated, um, when, when uh, and you had. Um, I suppose heads of hospitals, uh, you know, giving giving vaccines, spare vaccines out to families and uh, friends and and actually, in fairness, some some of their teachers. Uh, but so when uh, I mean, effectively, the vaccination schedule was being uh, wildly abused. So the government decided 
um, rather than actually managing it uh, properly, uh, they decided the best course of action was to deprioritize essential workers from their list and go for a simpler age-based system. And, you know, that meant that uh, people who are in kind of dangerous jobs uh, where they're more at risk of uh, of being infected with COVID-19. So that would be, you know, guardy teachers mainly uh, for, for the, the, I mean, healthcare workers are already prioritized, uh, but the, the, they were two jobs that certainly uh, would be um, high risk. Also retail workers, um, uh, people living in crowded accommodation, all that, that, that sort of thing. They were all deprioritized. Do you think there was a shred of sympathy for teachers who headed back into their classrooms basically to play a lottery game where they might be unlucky enough to be inflicted with COVID-19. Do do you think people cared that it might even mean that their kids' class might have several different teachers if a teacher teacher could be found? Uh, Because again, uh, at this time, there was a huge teacher shortage. And if a teacher couldn't be in school due to being a close contact or whatever it might be, they wouldn't be able to come into school. If they were pregnant, they certainly weren't able to come into the school um, and basically to find a teacher was extremely difficult, in fact, almost impossible to find uh, teachers uh, around. So we had student teachers covering classes um, and so on. And do you think people cared a bit? Not at all. Not at all. The public continued the game, this lovely game of teacher bashing by claiming that teachers were simply trying to kill their grannies and jump the queue for the vaccine. And these were the same people who didn't say a peep when a 20-year-old accountants in the HSE were getting their vaccines despite having zero patient contact. And to rub salt into our wounds, when the Irish Independent did a little survey to check how the public were feeling about the vaccine schedule change, 65% of them believed that Gardaí should not have been deprioritised, but 65% believed it was absolutely right that teachers should have been. Now, I can't wait to hear the complaints in the media from parents who are annoyed that their poor child are being taught by different subs every week and why can't the bloody teachers stop being close contacts and just get on with it? On the pup with them, I would say. Anyway, I guess this makes a little bit of a change from pre-COVID times when people spent their time giving out about teachers' working hours. You know, we haven't heard too many people going on about their half days and their months of their holidays. I think the record I heard someone given out to me about was the teachers had 10 months holidays a year, but I only heard that once. In, in fairness, most likely teacher, uh, people who are given out about teachers' holidays, uh, most of them will tell me I have six months off, uh, but three months seems to be the generally agreed median um, that people will use, or the minimum, uh, actually rather than median uh, holidays, those uh, wretched teachers enjoy for themselves. Yes. I don't need to tell you if you're a teacher, that this is untrue because you already know. And even if you don't already know, there's no point in me protesting because you've already made up your mind. Um, But as an aside, I have a family member who I don't really meet very often, but every time I meet them, the first thing she says to me is, how's work? And I always say, because it is true, (laughs) it's very busy uh, right now. Uh, To which she always replies in either two ways. The first response is, well, you know, at least it must be near your next holidays or or at least you had a good holiday just gone there. It doesn't really matter what time of the year I meet her. It's always the same. And I know this person uh, before I even became a teacher. I think that was the last time she didn't tell me that I must be close to a holiday. And that was a time uh, where I worked part time in some, I don't know, random job. But anyway, everyone that is a teacher or anyone who loves a teacher knows that the hours we actually spend with the children tells only about half the story of a teacher's job. 
And wouldn't it be actually lovely if we could just walk into our classrooms at nine o'clock and walk out again at about three o'clock and do nothing outside of that? I mean, what a job that would be. And in fairness, you know, that's not entirely fair because the five hours of direct instruction is very unlike five hours working in most other jobs. And I know this is where people might lose me a little bit, um, but bear with me. If you ask anyone who, in inverted commas, went back to teaching, because that seems to be the thing. Oh, I went back to teaching after going into, you know, a banking job or whatever. You don't went, go back to teaching as if it's a demotion. Like, it's a change in career. You wouldn't say, oh, I went back to, I went back to Google after, you know, a career in, in, in something else. You know, you, you don't go back to teaching. You, you, you become a teacher. I mean, it's just, again, is the language that's used is very interesting all the time. But anyway, anyway, I went back. Um, it, it just... I, I don't really understand it anyway, but if you talk to anyone that worked in some sort of other career, they'll all tell you that teaching is one of the most intense jobs you'll ever do. Uh, so, I mean, I've worked with people and do work with people who used to be in banking and hotel management, uh, all that sort of stuff. And they'll tell you um, that it's a, such an intense job. They couldn't believe it uh, when they actually started how busy it is. There's just simply no let up throughout the day. Now, I always compare teaching, and I've said this before in the podcast, it's being like an actor. Um, on a stage and your job is to entertain your audience for the entire time you're up up there on the stage but you but apart but unlike an actor you also have to write your scripts and manage the security all at the same time and like an actor you can't even go to the toilet in the middle of the performance look I've worked in office jobs before I became a teacher uh, or went back to teaching now I went I've, I've worked in office jobs and in and in shops and in various other positions and the intensity just isn't the same. It's just nowhere near the same. There's always periods of quiet throughout the day. If you feel a bit tired, you can always walk outside for a stretch. If you feel a bit peckish, you can go to the vending machine for a short break or grab a coffee whenever you want. And if you just fancy a, you know, a stretch or a, or a coffee, it's just generally not a problem if you're working in most, in 99% of other jobs. In teaching, you're on all the time. And Yes, I know I'm protesting too much. I know, I know, I know. But maybe it's because this podcast is the only opportunity for me to be able to say all this without the radio presenter running very quickly out of time. Now, it's easy to say that teachers only work very short days. It takes much longer to explain that we don't. And even the above is still only about a fraction of the story. There's really not a lot of point telling me uh, about me talking about all the extra stuff teachers do outside of work because the people who know it already know it and the people who don't really don't care. But I'm going to summarise it. Um, just a few things, uh, just in case those who don't care might listen and might start to care. Um, the teaching part of teaching, as intense as it is, doesn't include a lot of other stuff. Your paperwork, your planning and meetings, all of which have to happen if a teacher has any chance of succeeding in their job. Teachers don't hop into their classroom these days, stand up at the front and tell the kids to open up such and such a page in a book or sit at their desk to check, you know, and, and then go off and sit at their desk to check Twitter all day uh, and stare up only to shout at Johnny for messing or to say Cunis every so often and then maybe call out the answers to whatever it is in the book and then do it again for another 10 subjects and then rock out the door and drive off once the last child's been picked up. Like that doesn't happen. Teacher planning these days is a highly complex thing, which is kind of why we have to go to college to do it and to do it properly. Anyone can stand in front of a group of kids and tell them to open a textbook. If my mother could do it, well, first, 
it would be a miracle because she's been dead for over 20 years. But aside from that, if my mother could have done it, then we're not actually doing it properly. Uh, between differentiation of all subjects, assessing in all subjects in a variety of ways from teacher conferencing to formal and informal observations, ensuring that lessons are varied and active with plenty of opportunities for different forms of engagement, whether that's group work, peer-to-peer -peer learning and so on. There's a lot to it. We have to ensure that behaviour management is democratic and that everybody buys into it if they can. And if they can't, we have to ensure that there are individual behavioural programmes for these children, which may or which they may or may not buy into and which we'll have to change as often as the child needs them to change. And then we have responsibility for ensuring that every child's needs, no matter how severe they are, are catered to and ensure that the classroom meets the needs of every individual child. We also have to make sure our classrooms are as inclusive as possible, even when that's impossible. For example, if you're teaching in a Catholic school and you're teaching your faith formation classes, a teacher will try their best to make sure that the growing number of children who are not of the faith of the school have something to do. For example, about 10 to 15 percent of children attending mainstream education today as well uh, have an, a significant additional need, as, um, whether that's an educational one, a psychological one, a neurological one, physical one and so on. And despite the fact that most teachers are, have no help whatsoever in the classroom, they are expected to ensure that every single one of those children in that classroom are able to engage and manage whatever is happening, even when they can't. And all of this has to be planned for and all of this is done outside of school time. However, outside of learning, teachers are now having more and more meetings about more and more things. Now, while technology is absolutely a fantastic tool and fantastic resource and fantastic methodology, teachers often have to answer emails from parents on a much more regular basis than before. And quite often it's because a child will go home with a story and there'll be a complaint, whether or not that thing actually happened. And the teacher has not only to reply to the email, but to reply to it ensuring the correct language is used because often there will be another reply. And with the teacher bashing kind of now a national pastime, messages coming in from families can sometimes be less than respectful. And one of the fastest growing requests on principal networks now, uh, if, uh, if, uh, if uh, from my own observations, is something called a dignity at work policy, something that would be completely alien when I was in school and certainly even uh, it, it, um, up until very recently, a school needing a, a dignity at work policy was uh, something of an absolute alien concept, which basically says to me a lot. <laughs> and outside of COVID times, teachers are being asked for meetings more often than might have been in the past. This has to be done outside of teaching time. And now they're not face-to-face -face now during COVID, but if they're not face-to-face -face, uh, meetings, they're usually done by phone. And teachers find themselves having to phone parents about incidents that happen throughout the day after school to certain families because they know if they don't, they don't, you know, what might actually come down the road. So I remember if you might have fallen in school when you were, you were young, you might have heard about it from your child who'd come home. You'd see a kind of a, a the, the cut knee or whatever it might be. And you go, what happened to you? I fell. And you go, ah, oh, sure, grand. Now, um, the, now, that would not be good enough nowadays uh, for some families. Not all. You would have to, the teacher knows that if that happened now and they didn't ring the parents straight away to let them know the child had fallen or, or get a message from the child had fallen, there would be um, a, a, an investigation needed. Um, and uh, these things take time because there's the recording of this sort of stuff. As I said, you know, they, it used to be grand. You know, child fell in the yard, tell their mom and dad when they got home, 
no problem. There's no need for writing anything down. These days, if a child falls on yard or hurts themselves, the incident has to be recorded. Even if the parent might not want it, it still nowadays needs to be recorded just in case. And not just that the child hurt themselves. You can't write a line basically saying, child fell, hurt his knee. You know, it's when it happened, where it happened, who was supervising, who else was there, what protocol was followed, what kind of first aid was administered, if any, and if not, why not, were the parents contacted, what did they say, what did you say, what did you do if you couldn't get through to the parents, and so on and so forth. And that's just for accidents on yard. Teachers often also have to record any disagreements or minor misbehaviours because inevitably, and not in all cases now, I'm not having a go at anyone here, the likelihood is there might be an email or a call from a concerned parent wondering why their child was so unfairly treated. So we have to record any kind of information that happens just in case. Teachers also not only have to make their classrooms um, uh, you know, the, uh, teachers also have to make their classrooms look nice. They need to be educational. So you, you know the way you, if you're ever on Instagram and you're looking at teacher pages, you see all these beautiful things. Um, but they also have to be educational. And this means ensuring that notice boards and classroom displays are up to date and designed to be child friendly, which is right. Um, but it does take time. They need to show examples of people's work. It needs to be a print rich environment. However, if there's a child with sensory needs, the classroom also has to be muted, so the teacher needs to make sure that both of these things are happening in say, at the same time in case an inspector decides to visit, because if you don't have anything on your walls, an inspector won't be very happy with you and they don't really care that there's a child with sensory needs. But um, anyway, I'm, I'm going off a little bit. But apart from the displays, teachers need to ensure that the resources they make are not only colourful and pedagogically sound, they need to be re robust enough. Um, and generally, laminators are a teacher's second best friend, the photocopier being the first best friend. And before you ask, why are they making their own resources? Why don't they just go to the shops and buy the resources, for goodness sake? Can't the school buy the resources? A teacher's entire budget for their classroom for the entire year is often less than 500 euro. And this includes the cost of the photocopying, and when, uh, which when you have to differentiate work for several different groups, it's eaten up very, very quickly. We don't have big budgets in schools. You can't just get what you want because uh, educational resources are generally expensive and, um, and schools just don't have the budgets for them. Let's not also forget, teachers also have to correct and assess the work that children produce. Now, this isn't simply like in our day, sticking a tick in a copybook and popping on a date stamp. Um, do you remember those date stamps? I don't know if they're still around. Uh, teachers were, were, were teachers that, that <laughs> I'm giving out about teachers now. Were teachers that lazy that they couldn't even write the date? They had to get a stamp for it. Anyway, uh, I'm only messing there. These days, a child expects to see feedback on their work and not just any feedback. It can't be like good boy or very good or whatever. It needs to follow um, a formula almost, which uh, teachers will know of two stars and a wish or something like that. In other words, you can't just throw in well done or try hard or whatever. Now a teacher needs to have a stockpile of phrases uh, that are personalised to that child to say two unique things that they liked about the piece of work and one unique thing they think might make the work a little better the next time. Hey, I mean, some teachers even go to the bother of buying personalised stickers with cartoon emojis on them. You know, 
maybe the okay maybe those are the ones in their first year of teaching but i mean <laughs> this is the kind of stuff you know these are the extra things uh, that take time um and, and look I, the, the sticker example is very trite but going back to children uh, a, a little bit more uh, with additional needs teachers now have to find themselves assessing and recording how children are doing in diagnostic tests which also takes up lots of times now, i'm not talking necessarily about the screening documents that psychologists have now decided teachers should be filling out um to provide them an easy scaffold for the reports but i'm talking about classroom support plans because if a child is struggling academically in your class if you want any form of extra support you can't just go to your uh, to your support teacher and say ah oh, will you have a look at jimmy over there he needs a bit of help you need to fill out one of these uh, things out a classroom support plan and monitor it for at least six weeks recording all of the interventions you've done which you know are probably not going to work and then there's all uh, and, and and then and that's before you then have to come up with a new plan the school support plan uh, along with the support teacher um, if you can if there's enough resources to do that and then there's all the new initiatives you have to um, do with the added bonus of extra paperwork for example SSE or school um, self-evaluation um, we have to choose a school so we have to choose something to focus on to improve and your job is to record all the steps you took to improve whatever random thing has been chosen by your school knowing full well that you're only filling it in because an inspector will come in one day to check how your SSE is going and also knowing full well that the result of the thing you're focusing on will have already been predetermined as a success because the targets set at the start of the year are so vague that they're impossible to fail. And if you're in a desk school, you now get the pleasure of uh, helping your homeschool liaison officer or, or school completion project worker fill out forms um, uh, 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 for referrals so they can work with you. And these forms can sometimes take up to 45 minutes to fill out for each child. Now, I could go on and on, even though I said I wouldn't. And I have gone on and on because I thought it was important to list some. This is just some of the extra stuff the teachers have to do outside of the contact time. And remember, you have to do all of this um, all for every child in your class. This isn't just a one off kind of things. It's for each child in your class. And you don't get any free time during the working day to do any of it. There's no such thing as free classes for primary school teachers. Now, so you might. Now, so now you might also know why I'm never asked to be on the radio um, because <laughs> to, to discuss teacher workload. I mean, it was, uh, I suppose if that's um, I think that's clear by now. Um, and just imagine if you're also a teaching principal. I mean, honestly, I mean, I've just summarized in probably about 15, maybe 10 minutes, uh, just a few of the extra things. I don't think I don't think the radio presenter would be very happy if I uh, if I didn't give back the microphone. But that's the reality. And even for the most dedicated teacher bashers out there, they'd have to concede that Irish teachers work a hell of a lot longer than 25 hours a week. You could absolutely double it easily enough in many cases. And while it's difficult to say exactly how many hours per week an average teacher works in Ireland, we can only go to the studies that are out there. Sadly, unfortunately, research is very lacking at primary level in Ireland. The National Principals Forum, who I often uh, quote, survey of principals came out at an average of about 53 hours uh, a week for all principals in a 2018 survey. Second level unions in 2012 claimed 46 hours per week for secondary school teachers. And um, the UK, uh, moving on to them, do, does do a proper survey of their teachers. And the latest data from them is 49 hours per week. And looking at all the available data, I think it's probably fair to say that the average teacher in Ireland works between 45 and 50 hours per week. Now, the thing is, we all know this. And we all know the teacher bashers don't care because they'll just tell us to shut up because we've six months holidays per year. You know? Uh, anyway. 
However, rather than going on and on about this, which is easy enough to say after going on about this for, you know, about 20 minutes at this stage, um, what am I proposing to fix this problem? To be honest, I would simply suggest that teachers get a contract of expected hours per week and get paid for them. I mean, simple as that. And let's just break it down into some sort of minimum agreed contract of expectation, because as long as the work gets done, it gets done. So we know direct contact time is set at 25 hours a week. Okay, we know that's face-to-face -face contact time with children. And ultimately, we already know that no matter what way we sling it around, people outside of teaching won't give us a single bit of extra credit based on the fact that we can't go for a stretch or a, or a wee in the toilet during those 25 hours. However, you know, the 25 hours isn't the bare minimum because a teacher must spend 29 hours and 20 minutes per week face-to-face -face in work because, you know, we, they're, we're entitled to a little bit of a break. Um, and you have to, and actually, you're not even on a break during that time. If you look at, uh, at, at a teacher's contract, you actually have to be available for, the, uh, for, for those four hours um, and uh, 20 minutes or whatever it is of, um, of, of that time uh, because um, it, that was written into our contracts uh, during the, 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 the 2011 time. Um, I mean, we, teachers generally, you know, you might get a break uh, is but you're you're on call. I mean, essentially, and when you're on call, you're working. You know, when a doctor is on call, he might not have to go out, but he's still on call, and he gets paid for being on call. Uh, teachers are on call for the entire time that they're in the building, um, and often they don't get a break at all because there's often some sort of incident to deal with. Um, Anyway, it's too hard to put specific numbers in these and ultimately no one outside of our job cares about that because as far as they're concerned, we only work half days. The reality is that there are almost no teachers in this country that just work those 29 and a half hours. By my calculations, most teachers will work a minimum of 40 minutes before work to get in, getting their classrooms ready for the day and then roughly 12 hours per week on planning and preparation. And all the rest, roughly about an extra 15 and a half hours, um, uh, uh, making up more than about 42 hours a week. And that's really a bare minimum, about 42 hours a week for any teacher who's doing, I suppose, the bare minimum. And as we know, teachers are only paid for their contact time. And as we know, this contact time is intense. You know, as I said, I'm trying to kind of think of an analogy of how to make it intense because I'm absolutely aware that just saying it doesn't make it so. But if you can think of, um, I suppose, maybe think of, let's say, a doctor's job, because I mentioned a doctor there a few seconds ago. It's, it's the equivalent expectation of asking a doctor to have 30 of her patients in her surgery all with different ailments and expecting her to give each one of her uh, of these 30 uh, patients her undivided attention at the same time. You know, that's, I suppose, what it's like. Like a doctor has one patient at a time. Now, they may take on 30 patients a day, but they don't have them all at the same time and they don't have to give them a, a huge amount of attention at the same time. They just have to give them one to one attention. I mean, why do you think teachers have such strong bladders? I mean, this is why. Anyway, before you start thinking I'm looking for extra pay, hold your keyboard, wire your fingers, my friends. I do think it's highly unrealistic to expect extra payment for non-contact time. However, I do believe our non-contact time needs to be recognised and limited to an agreed number of hours per week. Now, the upper, limited, uh, the upper limit might be the equivalent of a 40-hour week over a year with the same average holiday time as your average worker. I'm not saying, you know, we only work 40 hours a week for the 10 months of the year that we actually work or anything like that. We have to be fair on that. Um, but we, we should expect 
an average of a 40-hour week over a year. And you might be surprised to learn that it wouldn't be a huge number of hours, more than 40 hours a week. And apart from all the stuff I spoke about a few minutes ago, when one also includes parent-teacher meetings, training outside school time, taking part in school community events such as winter concerts, fundraising for the schools, if you're in a denominational school, all the various religious services, it doesn't take too much time to add those hours up. And also given that teachers can't choose their working hours, even if they are available to work, giving them a contract that allows them only to be available to work for, let's say, 45 hours per week, thus ensure, and then ensuring the time off during the school to, uh, holidays, I think, is reasonable. However, if a teacher does work during the holidays, and they do, and we know that, this also has to be taken into account. And after, and all that, you know, after all that, we do need to talk about overtime. Ha! <laughs> Yeah, right. As if it's going to happen. But we really should be talking about it because it is not reasonable to expect teachers to be available and to work an unlimited number of hours per week. And given that no one's going to offer teachers any overtime work anytime soon, because it's not going to happen. We know that a maximum of a 45 hour week in return seems reasonable, taking everything into account. Now, this doesn't mean that a teacher has to work for 45 hours per week on the school premises. This time can be used wherever is appropriate. And most teachers, as we know, work well in excess of their 45 hours a week. And at least having a contract, though, would ensure that we didn't work any more than that. And when we're talking about Leo Radkar there recently coming in with his um, kind of idea of, of reasonable workload and all that sort of like having a policy on that, it needs to extend to teachers. And I mean, I, I don't know if 45 hours is reasonable. I mean, I'm just, I'm calculating it based on the fact uh, of um, of the um, 40 hour week over a year. But to be honest, you know, it doesn't really matter what I say. I don't think I'll have convinced the teacher bashers of Ireland of anything by recording this episode. They'll listen to it and they'll still be convinced that teachers only work half days and have six months of holidays. However, whether they believe it or not doesn't really make any difference to me and it shouldn't make any difference to anybody. They don't believe we work more than 45 hours a week. So even if we did set a limit of 45 hours a week, they wouldn't believe we did it anyway. However, I feel if I knew I was entitled to switch off after a certain amount of time and that my contract was sealed at a certain number of hours per week, I wouldn't worry that the, what the teacher bashers thought. I think it would be beneficial, of course, if our stakeholders did decide to record the number of hours per week a teacher does work and made sure that when the latest Minister for Education came up with some new initiative, they could say something like, sorry, Minister, teachers are already working 45 hours a week. You'll have to reduce the workload before adding something in. And I think if nothing else, it would be an interesting exercise. So if I were the Minister for Education, I would set a contract for teachers with a maximum number of hours per week. So there we have it. Um, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Uh, I don't think it's a very controversial one this week. Um, maybe, maybe a little bit. I don't know. Uh, but if you enjoyed it, please be sure to tune in every Friday evening for our latest episode of If I Were the Minister for Education. This podcast can be found and subscribed to on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and any other podcasting apps uh, by just searching for on Shaw.net or If I Were the Minister for Education. I'd really appreciate any reviews uh, you might give to the podcast. And certainly if you wouldn't mind uh, subscribing to it uh, you'll also get each episode a little earlier than everybody else um, that's kind of it for now um, I, I hope uh, the episode made sense uh, when I was writing it and kind of thinking about all the extra things teachers did um, I was surprised 
by how much I was writing. I was going on. I mean, I felt, oh my gosh, I thought this was going to be a very short episode. But as I kept going and going and going, I kept thinking of more and more and more things that teachers generally do outside their work that probably didn't exist 20 years ago. Um, and uh, it's it's definitely, um, I think, time that this kind of work was recognised and and uh, talked about. And uh, and um, I suppose that's really all I have to say on it. Um, thanks for listening, as I said again, and we'll catch you again next week. All the best. Bye bye.